Hello, Tom Tilly here. Welcome to The Briefing. This is the show where we get you up to speed every morning with the news that you need to know. It's Wednesday, the 29th of April. And today in the second half of the show, we'll brief you on the race to find the coronavirus vaccine. We're going to speak to one of the first two human beings injected as part of the trial that's happening at Oxford University in the UK. It turns out one of those first two people injected was an Aussie. We'll speak to him in just a moment. First, I want to introduce you to Jamila Rizvi, who's one of the co-hosts on The Briefing. This is her first show. Jamila, you're an author, you're a columnist, but you are also, people might not know this, a Kevin Rudd staffer. Oh, it's like you're uncovering a... It's not a dirty secret, but it's a secret of my youth, having moved to the media that I was once an outrageously partisan person. But it is nice today uh, to be used to getting up this early. I've done it before. I've done the 3.15am alarm before in my life. All right, yeah, it is challenging, so it's good to have practice. Um, You also have a column in today's Herald and The Age about navigating the the tricky social etiquette in the time of corona. Yeah, I'm tackling the very big issues, Tom, and there was a woman who looked at me very rudely for befouling her eggs in Woolworths the other day before rudely marching away, and I, I needed to unpack that on a national stage. Absolutely. Well, we can unpack that further if you want to later in the show. We will get to the coronavirus vaccine trial in just a moment, but let's find out what else is going on in the world today. There's been some tragic news out of the Western Sydney nursing home where five residents have died in just 24 hours. Now just to find that people are just dropping like flies, that's how I feel, they're dropping like flies. I'm terrified, absolutely terrified that my mum is going to be a statistic in there. That was Mary Watson whose mum is at the Newmarch house where 11 people have now died from COVID-19. It's really distressing news and you can hear it there in Mary Watson's voice. But the Federal Health Minister Greg Hunt does say he's confident the country is making solid progress. There was just one new community transmission from an unknown source yesterday. That is perhaps the most important figure I've had the privilege of raising since coming into this role and dealing with the coronavirus issue. It means that as a country, we are not just flattening the curve, but we are consolidating it, extending it and securing it. Greg Hunt sounding really excited there, which is kind of rare. Now, New South Wales, Queensland and Western Australia are responding to that positive news by easing restrictions. But the Victorian Premier, Daniel Andrews, is refusing to budge on their lockdown till at least May 11. Now, Jamila, you're in Melbourne. Are you happy that your Premier's, I guess, taking a really hard line? Or are you looking at these other states, like the one I'm coming to you from, New South Wales, where things have been loosened up? Uh, like where you can have visitors coming to your house and that kind of thing, which a lot of people are really stoked about. It always has to get competitive, doesn't it, with (laughs) you New South Wales? Uh. But honestly, I I actually think all over the country we're really buckling in behind our state premiers. The sense I get here in Victoria from all the people that I'm hanging out with (laughs) face-to-face is that people are pretty relaxed with trusting Daniel Andrews, in the same way that in other states, people are trusting their premiers. They're all at, you know, record high approval ratings. Yeah, well, speaking of easing restrictions, the National Cabinet will meet on Friday to decide whether the NRL should be allowed to restart its season late next month. Yeah, I'm not sure it will hugely help their cause, given that three players were fined for breaking social distancing rules over the weekend. Two of them were charged by police for discharging unauthorised firearms on a camping trip too. Yeah, wow. Well, the AFL's got some different problems. 
Um, senior players are reportedly threatening to stand down if they're forced into quarantine hubs for months on end uh, when their game restarts. The AFL's proposal would see teams split into several hubs where they can train without being exposed to the community. But, of course, that also means they'd be cut off from their loved ones. I couldn't ask, for example, Sam Jacobs, who's just moved his family up to Sydney, leaving his wife behind with their young daughter without support. I'd find it very hard to yeah, to try to persuade him as much as he's a big part of how we're going to win going forward. That was GWS star and Players Association Vice President Phil Davis speaking to Fox Sport about the predicament of the AFL Jamila, obviously it's a lot harder for the AFL to work this out because it's a truly national game. Absolutely. It would require them to have players coming from all over into Melbourne and into other states if they were going to play outside of Victoria. It gets very messy and very tricky. But at the same time, sport feels more important than ever to me right now. How about you, Tom? Yeah, I I think so. At that professional level, I think... You know, seeing a, a, a competition like the NRL or the AFL get up and running gives people a lot of hope um, and, of course, entertainment. But I know the National Cabinet are also working out what they're going to do with recreational sport, which is hugely important at the moment as well. And another sign of life slowly returning to normal, we can now buy more than one packet of toilet paper. Woohoo! Coles is completely ditching its buying limits from today. Woolies is only easing their restrictions. There is still a strict two-item cap on disinfectants, hand wash and pasta sauce, while you can now get four packs of loo rolls or hand sanitizer. Yeah, um, Audi is yet to wind back its rules, so we'll see what happens there. But um, I think it's pretty comforting news for people that they won't um, be restricted in those ways at the supermarkets. Um, it feels like the toilet paper has somehow been a symbol for the pandemic, that when people were fighting over them, we're at our lowest, and now that we're allowed to buy more of them or just, you know, just chill out about toilet paper, things are kind of becoming more normal and okay. Yeah, when going to the supermarket is your big outing for the week, seeing it look not normal, I think can be really confronting. It feels like you're on the frontier of the war effort somehow. The supermarket, I reckon, has been one of the weirdest spaces of this whole pandemic. The energy in there is quite uncomfortable. I've been finding it uh, very, very odd and people giving me strange looks for wearing gloves. Being sensible, folks, or maybe they're just a little bit jealous of the fact that I've got my hand. On some gloves. What are they? Quite stylish gloves, or are you just wearing like rubber gloves? Oh no, I look like a dentist. <laughs> nice fun. All right, Jamila, we'll speak to you tomorrow on the podcast when we go deep on um, how homeless people in Australia are being treated in the time of Corona. Looking forward to it. You're listening to the briefing. Let's get into the second half of the show where we take you way deeper on a very important story. Today, the rush to find a coronavirus vaccine. Now, vaccines usually take years, like 10 years or more. But last week, after less than three months, Oxford University researchers started testing a vaccine on humans and they hope this vaccine could protect us against COVID-19, Annika. Yeah, Tom, pretty ambitious, considering we've never developed a coronavirus vaccine before. Yeah, and 800 people are taking part in the study. Half will get the potential coronavirus jab, while the other half will get a a controlled jab. It's for meningitis, an existing vaccine. Yeah, volunteers started to be injected last week, and one of them is a Sydney doctor living in London. His name is Edward O'Neill, and he joins us from London now. Edward, thank you so much for joining us. Why did you decide to put your hand up for this vaccine? Was it just for the £600 or or what was going on there? Um, So firstly, I'm a 
a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Oxford. So I'm not a medical doctor, but a doctor nonetheless, I guess. I volunteered because um, firstly, it seemed like a great opportunity to help out as much as possible. Um, but also it seemed like a, a relatively low risk to, um, uh, to get potentially to get a vaccine. I also um, thought it was a really cool uh, sort of experience to then find out what it's like to be a, I guess, a patient in a clinical trial, since I would like to, at some point in the future, actually progress some of my own research to a clinical trial. So it would be good to see the patient's perspective. Yeah, I was going to ask about that, Edward. What have you picked up so far about what it's like to be on the other side? And, you know, was it scary going in there? What sort of feelings did you have when you decided to uh, be injected with this? So I guess it's a bit of a process involved. Um it involves a lot of paperwork, as one could imagine. Um, <laughs> there's just a lot of forms you got to sign and a lot of just checking that you're uh, physically fit beforehand. Um, but in terms of the actual day, um, it probably was a bit more abnormal than other cases because we had the BBC camera crew involved. Um, so knowing that I would be uh, filmed and uh, interviewed straight after, like literally just during the uh, uh, injection, uh, actually got my heart rate a little bit too high. So I had to sort of calm myself down a little bit. <laughs> But other than that, it was a pretty relaxed sort of environment. I was pretty confident with the science involved. Um, so I wasn't worried about what was going to happen. There were two of you injected initially, and there's a, a control vaccine and the real vaccine that they're testing. So you don't know which one you got, do you? No, I don't actually. And that's actually part of the design of the study. Uh, you don't want to have people going to be extra bold, thinking that they actually have the coronavirus vaccine and getting themselves at going out and being more risky. Um, then you wouldn't be able to control, uh, see, compare them to the control group. And so in that case, they actually need you to feel as if you get a vaccine. So something that might give a little bit of um, tenderness on the, on the, in your arm of the normal effects of the, that they would expect, which are very minor, um, of this known vaccine, which is given to teenagers in the UK. So in many ways, it could have just been a really epic video of someone getting a vaccine, which <laughs> teenagers in the UK get. It could be it or it couldn't be. Um, but it, it does mean that any sort of uh, potential chance that I get coronavirus, it sort of feels a bit more purposeful, even if I'm in the control group, because I'm still helping the study. And Edward, as we said earlier, there's never actually been a vaccine for coronavirus, but you said you feel confident about the science behind this. Are you confident that it will be successful? So in terms of whether or not there's been a coronavirus vaccine before, we've already had our coronavirus outbreaks before. We've had the SARS outbreak and we had the MERS outbreak. Now, in those two times, scientists have actually been working to actually understand the process involved with those in terms of how to create a vaccine against them. Um, but in the case of, say, the MERS virus, the Oxford team actually developed a vaccine for that. In fact, this current COVID-19 vaccine is actually built upon the MERS vaccine they previously um, actually created and actually injected into human patients before. But the problem that we couldn't actually have a successful MERS vaccine was actually due to the success of containment. It actually was successfully contained and therefore we couldn't actually have um, human volunteers potentially exposed to it and therefore have a challenge study. So in this case, it was actually quite unethical if, it were, if you were, for example, to give MERS to human volunteers because that was even greater um, fatality rate than the current COVID-19 outbreak. The reason why we may not have had a coronavirus vaccine before is just because we have been successful and not because of um, the lack of the science behind it, because they've been working on this for quite a number of years. So Edward, what do you have to do now? Do you have to go out and try and get the coronavirus to see if the vaccine has worked? Because if you just 
stayed in your room in full lockdown, this trial wouldn't really tell us anything, would it? Well, I guess the primary goal of how I fit in with everything, being one of the first two injected, just in terms of the safety, you know, if there's any sort of reactions, I've played my part in, in terms of that already. Um, and so they've now progressed it into other humans. But in terms of whether or not um, it's successful in the case of we're being in lockdown, they're actually rolling out the vaccine into different regions, uh, which have potentially greater spread and greater um, COVID-19 in the community. And so they're also trying to find um, people who are care workers, so people who are frontline care workers, who are more likely to unfortunately be exposed to coronavirus, and therefore there would be potentially better candidates. It's not really a matter of, um, unfortunately in the UK, a matter of you know, how it's, it's, if there'll be an answer, it's a matter of when it'll be the answer. It might take a few more months than what we would hope, really. And are you being hyper-vigilant to sort of symptoms? You know, are you sort of thinking, oh, am I a little bit hotter than usual or is this usually how I feel when I wake up? What's it like being part of a trial like this in terms of just going about your daily life? It does kind of play in your mind, but I think that's what um, everyone has been thinking about the entire time with COVID-19. We've all been questioning any sort of niggling of our throat. We've been worried about this for so long. When it comes to the uh, the trial, I know that I have the option of um, being tested. And if I actually do feel like I have symptoms, they want to know for the data for their study. In terms of um, figuring out if I have any fevers in response to the vaccine, I have to check my temperature every day um, and I have to go in to get blood checks um, every few days and so just to check what's going on with my blood. But in terms of being hyper-vigilant of things, it's important for us to understand what might be just, you know, what the common side effects are of the of the vaccine as well, um, if there are any, because every vaccine is stimulating immune response and it's healthy and normal to have some sort of um, symptom, knowing that your immune system is now trying to train itself against the coronavirus. Given there's 100 trials underway around the world, do you feel uh, particularly invested in this being the winning one? And obviously you've got a medical background. What chance of success are you giving it? Well, I think the Oxford um, University team definitely had a head start. They've been working on disease X for a number of years. The whole design of this vaccine has been to have something that you could just quickly swap in the bit of the protein or that is stimulating the immune response. All the regulatory bodies in the UK all were quite familiar with this. And so it was actually quite um, simple and straightforward to actually progress to human trials. They did everything as fast as possible, but as carefully as possible. And it was all part of the plan, actually. Now uh, They had all animal testing and everything lined up. So in terms of being seeming like it's rushed, it's definitely not. It's being very careful. In terms of whether or not other vaccines might be more successful, I think more horses in the race, the better. We don't, we can't really afford to waste months because that's more and more people dying. So I don't actually care if my vaccine is the main one that everyone is injected with. If there's something that's, you know, being able to mass produce even more and it's actually just as effective, we need to have an efficient, safe way to have herd immunity against the coronavirus. Do you think you'll sign up for more uh, drug tests or medical trials in the future, Edward? <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I think I would have to take upon every sort of any sort of drug trial, etc., um, with my wife and discuss the risks and the science behind it. And I think when it comes to like a lot of medical trials out there, such as a, a cancer trial, I think everybody has to be um, discussing and feeling that they're empowered to actually decide that this is a, a right thing to do and that the people involved have done a lot of care and uh, they put a lot of paperwork and 
a lot of boring things to make sure it's as boring and as safe as possible. Well, Edward, this could be one of the most important vaccines um, in recent history. So we, on behalf of Australia and the world, thank you very much for putting up your hand to be um, a human guinea pig for this trial. Thank you so much for joining us on The Briefing. You're welcome. I'm happy to be in, um, to be involved. So that was Edward O'Neill living in London. And it could really interesting to hear that that team at Oxford Uni had actually been working on developing a type of vaccine and essentially getting the, this project up and running before the coronavirus outbreak. Yeah, Edward, surely a candidate for Australian of the Year there. But it, look, <laughs> it does sound like he's picked the right one. As you say, they've had this sort of um, work in progress for a while now and that fills you with a little more confidence, I would have thought, doing, doing one of these trials. And would you have um, put your hand up yourself? I know you're going to accuse me of not being part of Team Australia again, but look, it it wouldn't be the first thing I would do. I'd want to make sure, you know, it was um, the right sort of uh, medical trial. But look, Edward knows what he's talking about. He works in this area. So I guess he sort of has that confidence that this trial is being done properly. Uh, and he sounds like he's not just picking anyone for the uh, £600 that they're offering him. <laughs> yeah, it does sound like he's chosen his trial wisely and he, he knows what he's talking about. And as you said, that would make you feel a little bit calmer about putting your hand Would up. Would you for... do it, Tom? Sorry. Um, yeah, good question. Yeah, probably. Good to hear. Team Australia. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I never have to be tested on, on that. There maybe is a vaccine trial happening in Australia now. Maybe you're a researcher listening and I've just dubbed myself in for your trial. <laughs> Call now. <laughs> that is it for The Briefing today. Annika Smethurst, we'll catch you next week. Good to be with you. Now, tomorrow on The Briefing, we're going to find out why the time of corona has actually been surprisingly positive for Australia's homeless people. That is The Briefing. Catch us tomorrow and subscribe. Tell your friends. You can get it on the Podcast One Australia app or wherever you normally get your podcasts. And make sure you follow us on Instagram too, at The Briefing Podcast. Catch you later. A Podcast One production.